Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Oval Roach. Oh, and we should hit him with the uh, with the Cam Newton, the I'm back, the we are back. We're back, sir. It's been, uh, what has it been, uh, three and a half years? <laughs> Almost. <laughs> Almost, but uh, mm-hmm. but we're we're back in the saddle, so we're we're happy to be back. Um, you know, we had uh, the the host and I had been speaking about getting another show in with. Some big changes coming um, to the landscape of treatment as we know it, which we will get into in today's topic. But uh, just that it had been a while um, for, to check in and, and see how everyone's doing and let everybody know how we're doing. So how are you doing, Mr. Host? How were the holidays for you? Holidays were fine, nice and quiet as usual. I am excited. We're starting off 2022 with our first show. We were uh, down for nine months for various reasons, which we'll get into, um, but here we are. Here we are. We're, we're back in the saddle, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I agree. It feels, feels great to be back, um, and definitely lots to, lots to catch up on uh, that we will try to summarize for everybody and then um before we get into the the big change what did you want to what did you want to start off today with should we start off with just uh what the organization has done and and has been doing over the past uh, handful of months here yeah um i think the biggest lift for us when we started um in june of 2021 is preparing for our graduation um and we didn't realize how big of a lift it will, will, was going to be um, because of some of the logistical arrangements that we had to make. Um, we were, I think, in April and May going back and forth on whether or not we were going to do it this year or not because we were kind of keeping our ear to the ground on what was going on in the outside world with COVID. You know, it was getting quiet. It was quieting down a little bit. Then it would rear its head. Then it would quiet down. So we were like, then in June, I just decided, you know what, we're just going to make a damn decision. We say, you know what, we're going to do it. I said, by July, by July, I want a date. And then we're just going for it. Regardless of whatever happens, we're going for it. So we finally chose a date sometime in June, which ended up being September 30th. And then uh, we started meeting um, every week, and this pretty much took up all of our time. We didn't even have uh, – I think we had two board meetings during that time because we we didn't realize how preoccupying it was going to be to put, you know, put this thing together and the fact that we had 23 graduates, which was the most we've ever had in our history, uh, going back uh, 30-something years, in California, that is. So 
and and the good thing is that we we were in touch with all 23. It's not like they spread out spread out all over the world and we couldn't find them. Um, and ended up having I think 21 showed up or 20 showed up. 21 showed up. 20 participated. The one who showed up and didn't participate, we knew wasn't going to participate, but showed up that day anyway. I don't know if you're aware of this, Mr. Producer, but showed up later on that day, just pulled into the uh, driveway out front to pick up his diploma and all, you know, whatever other stuff that he was getting. Um, But the logistics for the outside event and all the tents and all the logistics with setting the tents up and getting them properly aligned and fitting 150 people under them because we didn't want them sitting out in the sun. Yes, out here on in, in Northern California, it's warm and sunny at 11.30, 12 o'clock, in, in, you know, 11.30 in the morning in, in late September. Yep, yep. And, and so we didn't want people getting beat up by the sun. Um, and the only other concern we had was whether it was going to be a gusty day wind-wise, which didn't happen. And then the technology aspect of it was its own separate animal because we decided that because we knew people, there were people who wanted to attend but would not attend because of COVID concerns, et cetera, that we would then live stream it on our YouTube channel and uh, make it available for people to watch there live and Basically, what that did is it opened up for people all over, and even internationally, come to find out, that um, were able to attend that way. So we had a simultaneous live stream of on YouTube and on Zoom at the same time, and getting that technology, and, and Mr. Producer, you know how we are, to, to our own detriment, we're perfectionists. What do you mean I'm not an expert? <laughs> and if it ain't if it doesn't sound right we're our, we're our own worst critics if it doesn't sound right if it doesn't come off correctly it's we're just not happy with it it's so, very true you know for the I, I would say the last three weeks leading up to the event we you know we're trying to get our mics right and our sound right and I have to give uh, kudos to a resident of the recovery resident, his father, who was a sound engineer, is a sound engineer and a musician, uh, got wind of some of our difficulties and whatnot and came in and said, look, one, he, he, he solved one problem we were having with, with, with the mic. And then he said, look, this is what we need in order to get this working right. And we, 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 we didn't realize, but we actually had the equipment available to us in our supply of stuff. And we said, is that what you're talking about? He said, that's it. So we finally hooked it up, and um, he got the sound working beautifully. And that was that. Um, yeah, it did. Uh, it did sound really, really well. Um, and and from the multi, kind of the the multiple layers, we wanted that sound to be available for not only um, as a recording, but um, being live via YouTube as well. And the sound on in all respects sounded great. And then the sound on, on site. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, so all of that pairing and then the admin team, you know, the ladies doing their fantastic job of getting all of the decorations and the dressing up of things and the logistics with the table set up and the chairs set up and the gowns and the caps and the tassels and the pens, um, diplomas and uh, getting my signature on it, you know, all of that stuff, <laughs> you know, getting all of that stuff done. Because my deadline was on Wednesday the 29th, the only thing we need to be doing on that day is just looking around saying, okay, everything is done and ready. We'll just uh, smoke a cigar, kidding, of course, and (laughs) uh, say, okay, I guess we're ready for tomorrow. 
there was still a little bit of running around in the 29th, but not, you know, nowhere near what it could have been. Um, and then on, you know, the day of me, personally speaking now, I'm just talking about myself, knowing that I was going to MC the graduation and, and why this is important is because I don't think I emceed the last one or two, if I'm not mistaken. I think you did the last one. Yeah, so um, the last one, I think, was a combination of Danny and I. Okay. Um, and, yeah, I think we kind of tag-teamed it a little bit. Okay. Um, and I decided to do this one since we hadn't done one in three or four years, however long it was, it, it's been. And ordinarily, what I would like is that if I'm going to be emceeing the event, I don't want to have to worry about anything but just that. So that means everything right. else is taken care of, and I'm just showing up to the mic, doing what I do, and I don't have to worry about anything else. Um, and that's what happened. And, you know, it, it was lovely. Now, I do think we have to point out for posterity and to make fun of him, uh, but uh, one of our graduates, Michael Dunn, he, um, he doesn't mind us sharing his name, uh, obviously – Part of my responsibilities that day is to orientate them on where they're going to walk, where they, how they're going to, you know, where they're going to first stand. What's the signal for when they're then going to go take their seats after basking in the acknowledgments from the crowd, et cetera, et cetera. And so, I went over it with them like three or four times in the dining room. You walk here, you line up this way, then you're going to get a signal. First row then goes to their seats. Second row goes to their seats. Mike Dunn does the exact opposite of what we practice. Absolutely. I'm the last person walking out, so I'm not seeing that he's not doing it. He's the first person, so he's leading everybody. I have no idea that he's not doing what he's supposed to do. So when I finally walk out, I'm wondering, what the hell are they still doing standing up? Well, that's because Michael Dunn – didn't follow our instructions, so of course we mercilessly uh, gave it to him after after the event. Of course, yeah, it's one thing to be a quarterback in uh, training camp when you got the red jersey on and they're not allowed to touch you. It's another when the live bullets start to fly. Yep. So that's pretty much what we were doing between April and September thirtieth. Is preparing for our graduation. Obviously, during that time, we're still doing what we do, which is providing treatment services to folks and doing it in a fashion while we're simultaneously dealing with whatever the realities on the ground are about COVID at any one moment in time. But one thing I I do want to say, Mr. Producer, and and I'm going to pat ourselves, not me and you, but I'm just saying OCG on the back, is that I really appreciate the way the staff team and our clients have kind of put all of that noise to the side and just put their head to the ground and just take just was taking care of their business. You know what I'm saying? In the confines of the facilities, they're just taking care of their business. Nobody's worrying about we're aware of what's going on outside, but no one's focusing on that. We're, we're, we're taking care of all of our safety protocols, practicing all of that, but the focus is on the treatment, and everyone is focused on that simultaneous to the, the, to the obvious. So I, I'm really glad that that's where we are versus being hyper um, – not hypersensitive – uh, but hyper-aware to the point that the focus flips, if you know what I mean. Right, yeah, exactly. Overly vigilant, perhaps. Fortunately for them, you know, they were in a self, reasonably self-contained environment, so we have a reasonable degree of safety inherently built in, um, but, you know, we still have, you know, Clients, although to a lesser degree in the residential facility, 
you know, going out to medical and, and legal appointments and things of that nature, more so in the recovery residence, because people are going to work, people are going to school, so on and so forth. Um, but other than that, um, they've, they've been doing their thing, obeying the safety protocols, and knock on particle board, whatever else my desk is made of. Uh, yes. <laughs> Uh, we've, you know, we've been fortunate in terms of not having residents uh, show up positive. Now, we've had people come into the quarantine wing from the outside. Um, I think in the last year and change, maybe two people arrived to us, it turned out to be uh, positive. But, but we have not have any, had anyone become positive as a result of something going on in the facilities. Right, right. So we're, we're happy about that. And again, knock on particle board, hopefully that that continues, especially with this uh, latest uh, thing that's out there, which as you mentioned, seems to be hyper contagious. So we just, as my old director, Eddie Hill used to say, we got to batten down the hatches and keep that sucker out. That's right. Yeah. Do our best with doing that. And, and yeah. Um, and for sure, you know, I, I think although the the staff continue to do a great job, we continue to do a great job in the organization. I think it's important to acknowledge the human element um, coming into play when you've been diligent about something like we have been with COVID for, you know, almost, you know, I guess this March will mark two years um, that, you know, human nature almost wants to push you to kind of take your foot off the accelerator a little bit um, because it becomes very redundant and uh, to, um, you know, continuously kind of remind themselves that it's important and I got to treat this like it's fresh and something new. uh, That's, that's not an easy task. It kind of defies what, what you may feel like doing in any given moment. So, um, you know, an extra kudos to them for, for kind of defying that, what otherwise would be kind of a natural response to kind of let your guard down a little bit. Yep. 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 Uh, so So do we, uh, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to ask if we're about to break the big news. Uh, Before that, I don't know if it's such big news because we we talked about this uh, a little bit. That's true. We've probably mentioned uh, it on the radio show before, like it was coming down the pike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, we talked about it in 2020 because it was supposed to take effect January 2021, and it got postponed because of COVID. Right. So, um, yeah, that's when it was supposed to start. But I'll still argue that, that even though, yeah, and I'll let you get to your point, but I'll still argue that even though we knew it was coming, it's still big news when you look at the – through a historic lens of what residential oh, treatment has generally looked like. Absolutely. Um, so the other thing I wanted to say before we start talking about that is that we are going to put the graduation link, the YouTube link, up on our um, – uh, website beautiful so that uh, I don't have to keep emailing it to people they can just go there and, and, and access it but yeah let's 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 talk about it 30-day residential boom 30-day residential it's here is it is it upon us it's here Notice how excited we sound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's here. Effective, what, uh, 72 hours ago, huh? January 1st, 2022, residential treatment is um, is going to be uh, shifting. The, the landscape is going to look a lot different than the historic kind of context that residential has looked like with OCG. Yeah, and... So there's some gripes with it, but some ultimately good news with it. So here's the gripes part first. 
Six years ago, when California applied for a waiver to the federal government to say, hey, we would like to be the first state in the union to use Medicaid money to pay for all of the modalities of drug treatment. Prior to this, Medicaid was only used for outpatient. And California said, we now want to use it to fund residential outpatient withdrawal management, detox, this, 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 and this. And the way, and it was a pilot program called the Organized Delivery System, ODS. And ultimately, they got that approval for that pilot, and it was going to be a five-year pilot expiring in uh, December of 2020. Well, when that pilot was nearing its expiration, one of the main arguments, if you will, that California put forth was about the funding of residential treatment for a 90-day period, up to a 90-day period, which for the federal government was an anomaly because most of the country – in terms of anything that's being publicly funded federally, I'm not talking about any federal block grants or anything like that, but just with Medicaid money, was only on a 30-day limit. But California got approved for a 90-day. Well, the state of California did not think that, or I can't even say that, they chose not to request as a part of their renewal of this pilot to continue the 90-day residential and instead uh, go with what everybody, all the other states, the majority of all the other states were doing, which was the 30-day residential. Yep. Now, ultimately, my position on that was this. What that effectively does, as far as traditional residential, is really it eliminates it. Because from – and I use the word traditional because there are 30-day residential programs out there, and they've been around forever. Okay? Most of them were for-profit programs, et cetera, but they've been around. So it's not like 30-day residential is new. But traditional residential treatment has always been longer term. Back in the day, it used to be really long term, 12 months or more, at least with daytop it was. Then it shrank down to – six to nine months, and then it shrank down to three to six months, and then it shrank down to a maximum of 90 days, etc. And here we are at 30 days. Well, when we started having this conversation locally, my position was that this pretty much eliminates the traditional residential treatment, and what this now becomes is really an intervention. I was going to say, we're going to have to give a shout out to your New York brethren because it's going to look something very similar to one of the modalities or or branches of the original uh, New York Daytop, no? Yep, absolutely. I said, this is going to ultimately end up needing to look like the Daytop entry unit in Far Rockaway that I experienced. And what did they do there? I didn't, you know, over 30 years ago, I didn't remember everything of that experience, I had to reach out to people on Facebook, and I got some great feedback uh, from various people, Larry Thomas, Captain Jackson, among others, um, that, um, and my question to them was really honing on one thing, which was about the bookings, like how was behavior um, dealt with in the entry unit? And we pretty much kind of narrowed it down that it was really a process of teaching about um, holding each other accountable, responsible, love and concern, pull-ups, and so on and so forth. And then, so initially, it's really a staff-geared thing in terms of dealing with the behavior and finding out about rule violations and things of that nature with the goal that as people are there one week, two week, three week, that they start to hold others accountable and that becomes kind of the basis of residents booking other residents, not, not to any large extent, of course, in the entry unit, but that's kind of the beginning processes, if you will. 
So that pretty much let us know that that's exactly how we have to design our 30 days uh, intervention to be just like the daytop entry unit. Um, there's no quote unquote treatment. It's about getting you in, right? Getting you situated, teaching you the basics, learning the philosophy, the unwritten philosophies, the rules, regulations, and how to make your bed, how to do your room responsibilities, how to perform on your job if you're, you know, if you're on a job. There's some minor differences. I don't remember having a, there was a, like a job structure in the, in the entry unit because pretty much everybody was on house crew, if you will. Um, but we have a jo- we'll have a job structure because we, unlike entry, which didn't have grounds, didn't have kitchen team, we have all of that. Right. And yeah, didn't have an expediting like, team. And just like a little bit of context for folks, right, when when Daytop New York came to be back in the early 60s, 63, um, people were dying in the streets, right? There was a real serious issue with addiction. And uh, um, you would be incredibly grateful if you were able to get into a program such as Daytop. And so the the entry unit, this 30-day process, other than feeding you, getting you nourished, getting you healthy again, um, and preparing you, like you said, really preparing you for, for treatment for what treatment was going to look like and what the TC was going to be. Um, it almost as a byproduct acted as kind of like a screening process or a weeding out process. You know, who's coming in here that's actually serious about changing their life and committing to treatment and who, you know, who's in here uh, just kind of bluffing, you know, or, or just uh, looking for some warm meals and, and a warm bed for a few nights. And so, um, almost kind of acted as a filtering process so that when individuals made it through that 30 days and then uh, went on to, to treatment to their, to their full term, um, you know, they had already shown uh, that they were going to be, you know, in theory open to what was to come next. Right. Keep in mind, you remember one of those old daytop saying, there's no secrets in daytop. Well, there was one big secret that they kept very well, I remember, because you could never find out, no matter how much you asked, you could never find out what what was awaiting you when you got shipped from the entry unit to the upstate facilities. So it really made you wonder, okay, what what is awaiting me up there? You know that there was an initial interview, but you had no idea, no concept of what that was. If so if you knew what the word interview meant, you might have said, oh, okay, so I'm going to sit down. They're going to talk to me, ask me questions, similar to maybe what the entry unit interview was, right? You sat down in a room with someone, and they asked you questions about your life. So that's the only concept you had. You had no idea that you were going to be shocked out of your life. Um, <laughs> yeah, and you know maybe it's a good thing because maybe people would say, "Oh no, I'm not going. I'm not doing that." Uh, but and next thing you know, it's uh, ten o'clock at night. You're in the middle of nowhere, up in the mountains in the woods, and you're where are you going to go? Too late to go to run anywhere. But they one thing that we're going to do differently. Like I said, we we still going to have teams, expediting team house team, kitchen team, grounds team, but there's going to be no coordinators, no department heads except for the department head of the kitchen, and there'll be a chief, but the chief will be assigned daily based on various factors that the staff on the staff team determines that, you know, this particular person is ready to assume those duties for a period of time, whether that be four days, five days, three days, whatever. Um, so, but the same things like focusing on getting, you know, whatever medical concerns have been identified in your treatment plans, whatever legal issues are still ongoing, you start the process of, you know, going to court when you should, responding to your PO when you should, um, uh, figuring out, uh, you know, what, what do you want to focus on and treat me, you know, all, all of these basic things. So and it's also a big shift for the clinical team because remember, the clinical team would would in knowing that they got you for about ninety days would really get the ball rolling on uh, on therapy, 
So their, yep. their group, their groups were deep, right? And but that's not possible or appropriate for 30 days. And so they shift now in, away from uh, therapy-based, uh, psychosocial-based to purely educational groups. And then when the person transitions and steps down to the next level of care, which we'll talk about, um, this is where the pro side comes in for us. They, that's when they kind of start that process of really getting into that long-term uh, therapy-based, psychosocial-based counseling, therapy, et cetera, uh, to get underneath some of the issues that they bring to the table. We can no longer do that in the resident, during the residential intervention. It doesn't even, and it doesn't make sense to do that in the residential intervention. So their role as the clinical role shifts more to uh, a case management role than what it was previously. Right. The TC counselors, their base role doesn't change, but they now have to be aware that we cannot rely on as much as we used to as, you know, residents pulling each other in and teaching each other various things, we now have to take an active role more so than we used to in doing that because for 30 days, everybody's new, basically. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, we, uh, you know, we did Back in the day when you were there, when you were there. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, back in the day when you were there three weeks, you were, I mean... You were still new. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no, I was going to say in our archives, people, you know, we did the the three-part series of the trimesters of treatment. And so, you know, we're, you're well in to the beginning of the first trimester. And, and even then, you know, we considered that zero to three-ish months. Um, you're talking about the, the, the first trimester of the first trimester. So right. you're... Uh, you know, the, the program is protecting you in some ways. You can't be booked. You're still sucking your thumb trying to take it all in. Right. So it's definitely a um, a change. But I will say that where we're fortunate is in two areas. Number one, we have a frame of reference for how we can adapt. And, you know, based on conversations and so on and so forth, that other programs who've been doing, you know, either 90-day treatment for forever, that's all they've done, or longer than that, um, this is a very, very new dynamic for them. I mean, it's new for us too, but at least we have a historical frame of reference, if you will, that we can reach to and say, hey, we, we have an idea of how to do this because we used to have a, it set up this way where there was 30 days of just entry-related things before you actually went to another mode, uh, phase where you were doing your primary treatment. And they don't have that to fall back on. So I've always cautioned about starting that figuring it out process sooner rather than later because this day was going to arrive sooner rather than later. And right. here we are. Right. So we, um, the one other advantage that our current residential program has is that until we hear differently, anyone that was in treatment as of the 31st is going to continue, uh, December 31st is going to continue on whatever their treatment plan length of treatment term was up to that 90-day period. That's my current understanding. That could change tomorrow. Who knows? And so that gives the program an advantage because that means even as people come, start coming in yesterday, today, and, and, and moving forward, who will now be under the new dynamic of the 30-day period of time, They'll have people around them that have been in treatment for a period of time longer than that, 
uh, who can start pulling them in. And if that's the case, and let's say the county says, no, that's going to be the case, and that's how it's going to be, then probably not until, let's say, the end of February, when that last person transitions out, probably won't be until then that the program experiences the true 30-day turnaround of 30-day people. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? So, but my advice to them, my advice to them is don't wait until then, however, start the, start your process, I'm talking to the TC counselors, of teaching more now, don't wait until then, teach more now so that you're already used to it, you're in the habit of teaching much more than you were used to because we, of course, we relied on older members to pull in younger members. Now, everyone's a younger member. In theory, of course. Right, right. Yeah, and then, uh, uh, and I guess the, well, like you said, everyone's a younger member, and you're you're moving into teaching mode, and the dynamic will really be felt when some of those two-month or three-month members have phased out, and it's only 30-day members. Of course, like you say, in theory, some folks come in more with more maturity than others and more of a desire to change immediately than others. And then we also, um, and everybody sees this in the industry, regardless of uh, the program out there, we often see clients returning. Um, to to the program if, you know, they've fallen on hard times and need to catch a refresh. And sometimes in those circumstances, you'll get a resident who already kind of knows the drill um, and, and could perhaps be relied upon a little more as far as fulfilling some type of responsibility within the structure. Yep. Another area where we are fortunate is that our current continuum of care, we have people come into the residential program. They step down, if so assessed, to the intensive outpatient modality. If they're in need of continued housing, they're offered the recovery residence. And so in our program, because at your campus, Mr. Producer, the recovery residence is basically right next door to the intensive outpatient clinic. That's the term we use in California. Uh, those folks that go over there still get a semblance of a quasi-residential therapeutic environment um, because it's not like they're... <clears throat> living in Queens somewhere and going to a outpatient program in Brooklyn, they're basically receiving the services on the same site and maybe walking. What's the distance? Is that 30 yards, 30 yards maybe from the back yeah. gate to the Sheenan building? Yeah, um, it feels like a couple of first downs. Yeah, a couple of first downs to the Sheenan building and um, or maybe a 20-yard out route to the Sheenan building. Exactly. And, and um, you know, as far as they're concerned, they haven't left the campus, and they haven't actually left it. And so they have more, they, they have a continued sense of a therapeutic environment, a residential environment, if you will, at the recovery residence. And it's just because of our logistical setup. The only reason, and that's just, we're just fortunate that way, that it's set up that way. Um, but the state, the setup that we have, not physically, not the physical plan setup, but the continuum of care where there is intensive outpatient coupled with recovery residence housing is the model that the state wants. Hence why they decided to go with the 30-day residential intervention model. They want Intensive outpatient to be the primary long-term treatment modality. <clears throat> and if you couple that with the recovery residence, from their perspective, it addresses housing on one side and continued involvement in treatment on the other. And I get it. The only problem with that is 
as far as I know, we're the only ones physical, that are logistically, physical plant-wise, set up the way we are. Right. Everybody in the, county, every, right? Um, in the state. Oh, okay. Everybody else is traditional. You live over here, and you, you somehow, through whatever transportation means, have to go over here to receive your treatment at the clinic. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? That's a traditional model. Our our model our, our physical plant logistical setup is is not the norm. It's a total one hundred percent anomaly, and that's only by virtue of the fact that the recovery residence used to be the adolescent residential program. So it was already set up as a residential program, or just you know being used as a recovery residence. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You said like we got kind of lucky in some of these regards. Wasn't there also some type of luck involved with the fact that we even ended up getting the sheen and building licensed for Medi-Cal? Not so much because even with the adolescent program, that was the quote unquote, the site that was uh, registered with the state for where the services were being provided. So it was kind of a seamless transition when we started providing services there for adults. <clears throat> the only difference is, is that when, the, when the, the pilot went into effect, the state started certifying, recertifying existing drug medical programs and then certifying new ones. So we kind of had to do that certification process, and we hadn't done that since 1998. So once we got our initial certification, I'm sorry, 1997, we've never, it was never requested from, this, from us by the state for us to do any quote-unquote recertifying. And so gotcha. we had to do that in 2015 before we officially started under the organized delivery system in July of 2016. So that was, that was an adventure, you know, doing that recertification process. So we we are in a fortunate position that way in that, you know, our the way our modalities are set up, our clients will still get the benefit of the therapeutic environment. Um, they won't be, you know, leaving any, you know, they'll be self-contained, continue to be self-contained, um, you know, walk the 25 yards to the treatment, uh, the, to the clinic building where the services are the treatment services are provided and then walk right. back to the recovery residence, which is the housing unit on um, the campus. And um, that's that. And, and that's where they get the TC dynamic. And then and, you, you combine the TC dynamic with treatment. And that's the, that's the magic sauce, the secret sauce, if you will. Right. So the, the change, maybe just a tiny change, for you guys over at the recovery residence is that normally when you were getting people coming over to the recovery residence, they were already TC trained, if you will. They kind of already knew, they've experienced the TC for two or three months, so they kind of already know what's going on. So when they go over there, they, they know what time it is, okay? Right. And, and it's just a, a reorientation and and now instead of being older members, they're back to being younger members. You know, so you know, so it was that kind of a transition for them. Whereas now, the people that are going to come over that really don't know anything about the TC. They've only been there a hot minute. No different than us being in the entry unit. Really didn't know what the TC was about. <laughs> right, right, exactly. You know I mean? exactly. So we till we got up till we got up to Swan Lake or Parksville or uh, Rhinebeck, we had no idea. And so it'll be the same thing. When you get them, Mr. Producer, they will they will need uh, sprinkling and um, what's that word you cook you cooks use flavoring and uh, yeah seasoning you know, seasoning yeah seasoning and whatnot. Uh, they'll need some TC seasoning over there, which I'm sure they'll get. And that's right. And they're, they're gonna they're gonna be uh, quote unquote brand new. Right. Right, exactly, and so yeah, we're we are in 
in the tradition of the therapeutic community, um, we will be relying and leaning heavily on our older members here. Um, exactly. To bring them in the right way, and <clears throat> that's that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it should be. Yep. So we're fortunate in that regard that we can continue to have that set up, and you know we'll we'll see how it goes. I mean, this is going to be a um, you know we've modified the structure a little bit by, by changing, making sure that all of the available time outside of quote-unquote treatment groups are devoted to data session, um, unwritten philosophies, the basics of the TC, etc. So at the very least, when they get over to you, they'll have, at least they'll have some data down. They may not understand all of it, know all of it, but they'll have some data down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it won't it won't feel like completely uncharted waters, so to speak. Right. Yeah, some of the terminology will be familiar and and some of what they're being taught will just, you know, continue to add on to the the introduction that they received essentially. Yep. So, we'll this is what we'll do. I mean, we'll uh we're a day today's what? Today's the 4th, so we're a day the 2. Fourth, yep. Um, we'll report back in a month or so how, how it's going and um, let folks know what what this new 30-day program dynamic um, is like. Now, of course, new clients coming in, or at least once the older clients cycle out, but after that, new clients coming won't have any idea. They'll only know what they know. As far as they're concerned, this is just a 30-day program. Right, exactly. Yeah, right. They have nothing to compare it to, no frame of reference. It's really just us because we know um, and we have to adapt and we have to be sure that whatever we're teaching and preaching is in that context of the 30-day program. Right. So that's all I got yeah. on the subject. Yeah, that puts a challenge, you know, and, and to just to kind of close that point that you just made, it does present a bit of a challenge for staff, particularly staff that have been around for a very long time because yeah. you have to shift your expectations and your mindset from what you would have expected a client to do or the way a client might present coming into the traditional landscape that now they have to be very mindful of what you just said. This client has no frame of reference to them. It's a 30 day program and that is going to present a certain way. And the the staff have to remember that um, even though we've been used to something for years and decades, um, this is just the way it is to, to client X now. That's a fantastic point because if your expectations are not in line with the reality, then it makes for a very disheartening experience as a staff person. Right. And so um, we have to remind them of that and uh, make sure we, sh- we align our expectations accordingly with what the current realities are and develop new expectations and new uh, new demands, if you will, that are appropriate for that 30-day timeline. And again, it's always going to, just going to be about the basics. So we are going to demand that you learn how to make your bed, learn how to clean your room, take care of your personal hygiene, dress appropriately. You know, all these basic things are going to be demanded, but we're certainly not going to expect you to know all of the ins and outs and appropriate uh, whatnots of encounter group. Right. You know right. what I mean? And, 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 and how to appropriately conduct yourself in an encounter group and things of that nature. Not going to happen. Yeah, no. No chance. Matter of fact, encounter groups should be pretty exciting. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. No 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 holes barred. <laughs> they right exactly. Yeah, no, it should be. But yeah, no, that's um the expectation shift and and uh what what you should prepare yourself to see. That that's definitely definitely um something to be mindful of um with the way your environment has just shifted it with what you uh work in. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. So we'll touch base back 
with our listeners about this and I'll let them know how we're progressing. In the meantime, Mr. Producer, there was this old saying that they used to have on the ESPN broadcast right before they started their show. They used to say, are you ready for some football? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so is that, uh, is that uh, now that we're done with the topic, should we move into a little, a little sports cap right now? Absolutely. Indeed. Well, a lot has transpired uh, since March, obviously. We, we had a baseball champion crowned, we, uh, an NBA champion crowned, uh, and then, of course, the, the start of football. So um, football, we know, is, is what we'll, we'll dive into the heaviest. But uh, San Francisco Giants for our Bay Area, right, our, our home turf out here had a hell of a season 107 wins that's the most in franchise history best record in baseball and all of that uh led to a first round exiting of the postseason in not so glorious fashion so there's that uh your yankees anything to report on your yankees uh, or your mets from from your side of things just uh just just, just disappointment. That's all I could say. Just, just absolute disappointment. Beautiful. That's the way we like to hear it out here in the Bay Area from the New York contingent. So that's great. Um, and then we can, as many have, ignore. Well, the NBA, right? So the NBA, a little diluted with with COVID stuff, but um, you know, it seems to be, although a lot of a lot of COVID stuff is rearing its head again this season. Uh, last season was a bit of a wash, but we have started the NFL season and uh, the playoff that we're in the last week of the regular season. This is the first season where we've had 17 games instead of 16 games. So it feels weird to be this deep into January and still in the regular season. But uh, last uh, this Sunday is the last week of the regular season, and then the playoffs begin. How do you feel about your Cowboys' chances, concerns, uh, confidence? Let me just say uh, for the New York contingent, disappointment again for the Giants and the Jets. <laughs> yes. Perfect, perfect. Um, and I've seen everything I need to see. Hey, you know the old saying, and I think Bill Parcell said it, right? Um, you know, when the team shows you who they are, believe them, right? <clears throat> Yeah, and I've seen everything I need to see out of the Cowboys. Um, Dak Prescott, in my opinion, is not going to be able to lead them to the promised land. He does not rise to the he doesn't rise to the occasion. What what's the opposite of rising to the occasion? Uh, Playing well, down. I mean, what, whatever it is, that's what he yeah, does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, crumbles. Maybe he crumbles under the pressure a little bit. Talks a good game. Uh, just needs to shut up now. I mean, before this last game against Arizona, he was quoted as saying, because I think Tyler Murray said something. I don't know. I think he said he owns the AT&T Stadium, which he does. He's now 9-0 and there. And I think Yeah, right, Prescott, dating all the way back to his high school yeah. days, I think. <laughs> right, and Prescott shot back saying something, oh, we're the enforcers or some nonsense like that. Now you just need to shut up. Yep, and just shut play. up. Don't say a word because you have nothing to say. You can't back up what you say, and you're getting paid $40 million a year. You should be able to take care of it if you're, that du- if, if you're that dude. You can't talk yep. about being that dude. you got to be that dude. Yep, very true, very true. Well, 
I will say, I mean, of course, Tampa Bay and Green Bay, these are the teams that everyone's looking at in the NFC. Um, but that said, both of those teams can be had. This has been shown. Oh, yeah. Um, it feels like a lot of parity this year in the NFL, not any kind of juggernaut that, that any team out there necessarily fears. So, um, really, the old adage but, but, of any given Sunday. Mr. Producer, Mr. Producer, i got to interrupt and ask this question. I haven't gotten off the Cowboys yet. So I gotta ask this question. Shouldn't have got me started. How is it that every team that the Packers face knows they only got one receiver, <laughs> Devontae right. Adams, and that Rodgers is going for him? Yet he's still able to not only get the attempts in his direction, but get the completions. Whereas the Cowboys evidently had, because now Gallup's out, but let's say prior to that, three, you know, very, very good receiving core, which means, hey, you could double one, but you can't double all of them, right? right? And how is it that, and I'm going to put this on Kellen Moore first and then the quarterback second, that you're not able to get the ball to those guys? Yeah. Even if, even if they're dropping the great say, oh, they say, oh, they stopped blitzing him, and they're dropping seven, daring the Cowboys to run, which they can't for some reason now. And so Prescott has to, you know, read among seven defenders. So you don't think yeah, they're doubling? Well, they're not doubling Devontae Adams? Yeah, right. Well, so here's the – so this is where uh, – so I think it is a combination of your offensive coordinator uh, and Dak – Right, so this is this is where you want Dak to be that forty million guy. Uh, Aaron Rodgers. Well, let me tell you what: if they're dropping seven, I mean, uh, I'm sorry, if they've got seven up front dropping everyone else in the coverage, uh, Aaron no, Rodgers they, is they're dropping seven in the coverage. Yeah, or well, they're dropping all their linebackers and just rushing four. If they're if wow. they're dropping seven in the coverage. Aaron Rodgers is is calling an audible at the line and handing the ball off all day in that situation. Uh, and they've got a competent running back over there, and uh, who's a Jamal Adams? Uh, he he's a hell of a running back. But again, yeah. So and we, and we don't. Yeah, exactly. He's a uh, he's uh, no no person head and shoulders above Dak Prescott, and so. That's where you kind of, I mean, not Dak Prescott, I'm sorry, Ezekiel Elliott. And so that's where Dak Prescott needs to show that he's worth that 40 mil. You would do like Rodgers would do, read that defense, and uh, you need to audible out and hand that to Ezekiel Elliott because if you're playing coverage like that, Ezekiel Elliott should be rushing for 150 a game. And, and you need and to start is, getting that safety to cheat up. And then when you do that, it's, you know, then you go ahead and you attack the matchup. Uh, and then there are some combinations that are just special. You know, everyone knew Montana and Young were throwing a rice, uh, but you, you couldn't really stop it. But, again, that's because Montana and Young um, were not afraid to – well, in Young's case – I mean, uh, Montana's case, he would audible out uh, from time to time there. In Young's case, he was a mobile quarterback. If you dropped seven – and, and everyone was covered, but it was man coverage, he would take off and, you know, we all saw the highlight runs that Young would make throughout his career. So the problem with that for us is that, number one, Dak, for some reason, is not running like he was. He says he's 100% healthy, but he's not running, which would, which would open up the passing game because now they, they have to start cheating. Number two, this is why they're blasting Kellen Moore in Dallas because – they're saying, yeah, they're dropping seven, only rushing four, and daring you, to, daring you to run the ball with only four defenders, and the run game ain't happening. And they're saying, well, the reason it's not happening is because you are running straight up to the A-gaps all the time instead of outside zone. Every time they do outside zone, they're getting five, six, seven yards, and they come right back and try and run Zeke Elliott again up the A-gap. The yeah. interior of our line is weak now. The center and left guard keep getting blown off the ball. So you're not going to be able to dominate up the, up the interior. You've got mobile tackets, tackles. Every time they run outside, they have success. So everyone is wondering, why do you keep running Zeke straight up the middle? 
Yeah, that's on your offensive coordinator because you, and it's it is um, illogical to think that any defense would go into a game against the Cowboys and have their game plan be we dare you to run the ball because Ezekiel Elliott is one of the best running backs in the league. What what you would generally do against a team like the Cowboys is stack the box and exactly. dare them to beat you with on the, pass. the air. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, that 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 all that all falls on the offensive coordinator. Now I don't know if um, if um, Mike uh, oh gosh, what's McCarthy. Mike McCarthy? Uh, yeah. Now I don't know if this is his guy or if you know, like uh, Kyle Shanahan, for example, is a head coach, and I think they have an offensive coordinator. But essentially, he calls the plays, or they're his plays, right? And so I don't know if McCarthy being the same offensive-minded guy, if, if this Kellen Moore individual is just a placeholder and it's really McCarthy calling the show. But I will say, if it is McCarthy's guy or McCarthy's really the one pulling the strings game time, um, this is what Aaron Rodgers publicly called McCarthy out for in Green Bay, which led to McCarthy being fired by Green Bay, was not – you know, not trusting in a run game or, or having any kind of good run game that, that could uh, be relied upon. I don't think, well, we can agree ultimately, ultimately, it is McCarthy's responsibility. <clears throat> but we think that they gave a great example. They said they in Sunday's game, Late in the game, they finally got a 26-yard completion to CeeDee Lamb. And they wanted them to go up-tempo. But instead of going up-tempo, they brought in some kind of fancy special package for a running play. Rather than just, no, come right back to the huddle, go with what you got, and run Pollard and Zeke to the edges. Because all season long, their interior has been getting dominated. The only time it wasn't getting dominated the first six games of the season when they were averaging 160 yards a game rushing. Well, what, what changed? Well, their line was Karen Steele, Zach Martin, Biagic, Williams, and Tyron Smith. Tyron Smith goes down with an ankle injury. Lyle Collins comes back from suspension and eventually takes over. But you know how it is. You know, practicing is very different from game speed. So it takes oh, yeah. him two, ga- two games to get up to speed, okay? Now, what's his name? Tyron Smith is out with an ankle injury, so now the line is in flux. And the running game has never been the same since then. Hmm. Yeah, uh, the coaching staff has to figure it out because you cannot have that type of running back back there and have teams not – not game plan for him. So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, curse words going around in Dallas. Yeah, well, again, Bay Area contingent, we love to hear that. We don't mind that, so we can keep that going for all uh, all we're concerned. I will say briefly about the 49ers, this should make for a very interesting Sunday this Sunday. Um, if they win, they're in the playoffs. Uh, and if they lose, um, then they need the Saints to lose to be in the playoffs. If they lose and the Saints win, the, the Niners are out. So uh, it was funny. The Saints game being an East Coast game uh, playing in Atlanta was originally scheduled for the morning. Um, and they pushed that back to the 1 p.m. game as that's when the Niners are playing um, to ensure that these games were happening simultaneously. Um, because of uh, the playoff implications, so uh, should be should mm. be an interesting one. Mm. And 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 the Niners, unfortunately, scheduling wise, it's not like they're going into a into a situation where there's a team that has uh, you know doesn't benefit from winning or losing and will rest their players for the playoffs, or they're not going into a cake. Uh, a cupcake game either where there's a team who would just as soon lose so they could better their draft position. Um, Mm -hmm. They're going on the road to LA to play the Rams. And if the Rams win, they will win the NFC West. 
and uh, they will clinch a home game for the playoffs. And if they lose, they will not win the NFC West. So they're going into to play a team who's equally fighting for something as important as the Niners are. So <clears throat> they won't be let off the hook there. And the Saints are uh, playing the Falcons, who are out. Um, and so it, it's really looking like uh, they're just going to have to win to get in. We don't know if the Falcons are going to be beating the Saints. And is uh, Giraffalopolo playing or no? That is yet to be determined. I imagine just like last week, Shanahan will play it close to the vest to get the Rams having to think about two different styles of quarterbacking. But the uh, all of the the local media believes that uh, he will not be playing because of the extensive damage to the thumb. Uh, but of course, Shanahan is going to come out publicly and say, you know, it's, it's day to day. And, and we're, I think he actually said in the media today uh, that they're going to be installing a plan for both quarterbacks in the event that they're both able to go. Um, of course, just to give this is gamesmanship and, and give LA a couple things to think about, but it it's looking like it, it pro, he probably won't play. But I guess we'll have to see. Hmm. So, as far as the Niners are concerned, it doesn't matter what other than the this want needing the Saints to lose if they lose, right, or the Saints to win. Yeah, they need the Saints to lose if they okay. if the Niners lose. If they win, then it doesn't matter what anybody. Right. Does. So win and you're in. Win and you're in. In. Yeah. You, in, regardless of what yeah. happens with the Saints. Okay. Right. Hey, that's hey. What more can you ask for? Right. Yeah, that's what you got to fight for. I mean, you all, all, you, all you're fighting for is either the 23rd pick or the 26th pick. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Exactly. In the exactly. second round. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that, that, that's the truth of the matter. So when we, uh, when we check back in with folks uh, a month or so from now and let them know how the 30 days going, uh, I'll either be very depressed or very excited. <laughs> Because you've moved up three draft spots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, all right, sir. Um, good to be back, and uh, we'll 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 be back on before spring is out. Certainly, before winter's out, I should say. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, it was great. So, of course, thank everybody uh, for, for joining us or for listening today or for those of you who will be listening in the archives. Always love and appreciate the ongoing support. We look forward to giving you all an update as some time progresses and we get some of the 30-day feel under our belts. We're, we're excited to report back. Uh, we wish everybody a happy new year and uh, we will catch you all on the flip side. That's our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCGWorkCA and on Twitter at OCGWorkCA. You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio. Don't you know, don't you know, if you